Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Revelations 12.11 says this, that we overcome the enemy, that we triumph over the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is talking about Jesus creating a new covenant with us that actually keeps us in relationship with him, not dependent on our performance, but what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's an agreement made for the purpose of oneness. And so we triumph when we recognize that we're in covenant with Jesus. We triumph by the word of our testimony. So here's what that means. I pay attention when I'm not feeling in my right mind, when I feel like fear is knocking at the door saying, hey, I want to come in and set up shop and wreak havoc. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's that for me, it's like three in the morning. It's like, man, that's when the whispers of the enemy try to get me into that place of fear is that I, I pay attention to truth because the, the truth of scripture is available to me, not simply mentally or from some sort of academic theological deal, but it's available to me because of the blood of the covenant, because of the blood of the lamb, it's, it's mine. I have access to it. I have right to it. And so I know the truth is how I fight. I don't try to fight by power. I fight with truth by the word of my testimony, knowing what Jesus has done for me and other people becomes like the way that I fight fear, right? So that financial devastation thing, you have no idea how many times I've seen God come through in the area of finances in my life, right? And anxiety begins to live as if God isn't going to be there in the future. But when I recognize that he's been there in the past, then I can see that he's coming in the future. Does that make sense? And so that's where the word of our testimony comes. And then this that they did not love their lives unto death. You see, when we use God as a spiritual vending machine in order to, to just love our own lives, then we won't live victoriously. But when we begin to recognize that God, he's after my whole life, that I'm not gonna live my life to the point of death. Most of us have loved our lives to the point of even giving, getting our feelings hurt. Like that's a little too much for us. But Jesus was like, his example is, I'm not gonna live my life unto death. I'm gonna live sacrificially. And that's how we overcome. That's how we live in victory. All right? Cool. So we don't have much time left and I've got a lot to cover. I wanna to talk to you about freedom from religion. Anybody wanna get free from religion? Anybody wants your neighbor to get free from religion? <laughs> I want to talk to you about freedom from religion. We're going to talk about two trees, two sons, and a kiss that changed my life. So in the garden, we know this, that there were two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see the knowledge of good and evil has two components to it, good and evil, right? In the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let me give you a different word for, for knowledge because some of us can just get tripped up over knowledge and especially 
uh, the religious spirit will cause us to do that. The word knowledge is the Hebrew word yada. Say yada. yada. It's like yada, 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 yada. Well, we see it in uh, Genesis 2 when it's talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see it again in Genesis 4, and it says this, that Adam yada with Eve, and they had a son. Okay? So that word yada is the same word as to intimately know, right? So when we talk about the knowledge of good and evil, it's not to know the difference between good and evil, but it's to experience good and evil. Does that make sense? And so it's not that God doesn't want us to know, it's that he doesn't want us to experience. And there's actually a significant difference. So we know this in in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there is good and there is evil. In uh, the, the evil branch, we've experienced that. We've actually chosen that, lived there before. The evil branch is really about rebellion. It's about how far I can run from God. It's about doing my own thing. It's about living for myself. In the good branch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is religion. Religion has grown on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and the problem with religion is that it is always about what I can do to get to God, to get to heaven, to have eternal life, to have peace, joy, all that kind of stuff. And so the, the deception of the good branch is that it's a really good imitation. It actually produces fruit that seems as if it grew on the tree of life, but actually has no life in it. It's the tree of try harder. It's the tree of, if I perform enough for God, then he'll be happy with me. It's the tree of, if I pray hard enough, then I won't have any problems. It's the tree that's trying to force it. It's the tree that can't rest. And the problem with religion is this is that it keeps us from God because it makes us think as if our own efforts would ever get us there. The the good branch on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is why good people don't go to heaven. We think, well, was so-and-so good enough to go to heaven? Surely they they were such a nice person. They were, the problem is, is that this tree is essentially the tree of self. It's separated from relationship with God. If we move over here to the tree of life, what we recognize is that everything that the Father has is ours. We recognize that we're in relationship with him, that we're in covenant with him, that we've been made one with him, and we can't do anything to get ourselves out of it that the way that God treats us is not according to our behavior, but according to Jesus's behavior on the cross. So he took what we deserved and we get what he deserved. When we live over here, we find life that overflows. We've always got enough. We don't lack. When we live over here, we're living as sons and daughters of the king. When we live over here, we're living as slaves. We see God as the taskmaster, and we're terrified that God would speak to us 
Because if he speaks to me, he's surely gonna ask me to do something that I don't want to do that would not be good for me. He's gonna ask me to go to Africa to be a missionary. We get terrified. He's gonna ask me to give money. We get terrified of hearing from God over here because that would interrupt our plans. When I'm over here, hearing from God the joy, it never comes out of striving. I'm not actually worried about hearing a different voice because I know that I have access to the Father, that he's a good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice, that I'm his son and I get to be in relationship with him. I get to delight in him. I'm not gonna perform for him. If he asks me to give, it's because he's already given to me. And he's, he's actually increasing my capacity. If he asks me to give, it's gonna be really good. If he asks me to take a risk, to take a step of faith, then it's going to be an adventure. It's not terrifying because I know he's a good father. And I know that he's only leading me into life. Death doesn't even scare me because I know that it's not just that I have eternal life in the future, but I'm living it now. So I know that the spiritual realities that I experience in the moment are nothing compared to what's to come. And so I'm okay going to Africa to be a missionary because I know that he's got my very best in mind. And so I was talking to Eliza last night my eight-year-old, she was asking me, Dad, aren't you supposed to preach tomorrow? And I was like, yeah. She said, well, have, have you studied? It's like, well, not, not really. <laughs> I did a little bit earlier in the week. She said, well, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to talk about two trees. And, and I began to describe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And I said, you know, Eliza, most Christians probably live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil trying to earn their way to God, trying to make it happen. I said, you know, I probably lived 30 years in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil until I experienced a kiss that changed my life. I'll tell you about that later, though. And that most churches actually teach people to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they're teaching you behavior instead of how to abide in belief. The truth is, I think I even told her this, that some people don't like me as a preacher because they think I'm not tough enough on sin. However, the reality is, it's that I hate sin, but I want people to get life, not behavior modification. And so I want them to live in life. So I'm more interested in in teaching them to rest in life instead of focusing on their performance. I can deal with people not liking me because I'm a son. My father likes me. That's really all that matters. Right? And so, the invitation for us is to live in the tree of life. Let me tell you about two sons. There's two sons, and they both lived over here. Two brothers. You find them in Luke chapter 15. And in the the story in Luke chapter 15, we, we all know about the prodigal son, right? Like, we've learned the lesson, don't be a prodigal, right? Like, don't run around. Don't blow your parents' money, all that kind of stuff. And we see the reception that the father had to the older son. He gives him uh, a ring that symbolizes authority. It's actually the ability to spend money. Their, their rings were like the family credit card. He had the seal of the family, and he could do whatever he wanted. The son that blew it big, that took half of Papa's money, 
got the credit card back, got the debit card back, like just access to the account, right? He got the robe of honor, though he had dishonored his family and himself. The father put the robe on him. He put the sandals on his feet, which are a sign of sonship because only slaves were barefoot, but sons got shoes. So we see his restoration in the way that the father treats him. He kills the fattened calf for him. They throw a big party. But there's the second son in the story. And quite honestly, if I look at my life, I identify so much with the second son. I, I, I have not lived uh, the prodigal life in my actions. But the second son had a bigger problem than the first son. He wasn't prodigal in his actions. He was prodigal in his thinking. And we can get prodigal in our thinking and start thinking that somehow I'm not really a son and that I don't have access to all the father has, but instead I have to earn it. That I have to make it happen on my own and, and really my relationship with the father is based on performance. That's called religion. So what we see, go with me. If you got your copy of scriptures, go with me to Luke 15. We'll just look at a couple of verses there. You're pretty familiar with this story probably. If not, check it out. It's, it's really good. But we're gonna look, uh, it says in verse 28, the older brother came became angry and refused to go in, talking about going into the, to the party. He said, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving and never disobeyed your orders. Look at my track record, right? That's the good branch on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at all that I've done. I've kept the rules. I've never done anything wrong. It's the rich young ruler who kept all the 10 commandments, done all the law, all 613 laws. He had done really well. He says, I never disobeyed anything, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could go and celebrate with my friends. You didn't give me anything. The father, when we see his response in a second, is totally mind blown. He says, but when this son of yours, not my brother, right, because religion always operates in accusation and comparison, right? It's like, you got it wrong. Look at what they did. God, how come you haven't blessed me? So-and-so, I heard their prayer request. They blew it really big. How come you're blessing them and not me, right? But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and accusation that we don't find validity for could be true, but it's not in, in the rest of the text, Prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Then we hear the father begin to talk and he says this, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You see, he was prodigal in his thinking. He was actually a son. And because he was a son, not because he had kept the rules, not because he had performed, he was actually invited to have everything that the Father has. That's living in the tree of life. The problem is, is that when we begin to live in the good branch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we find ourselves trying to perform for God and we teach people to perform for God because it gets good behavior, it keeps everybody in line and in order. We can even get people to serve in the church if we hang the, the good fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on them. Here, here's my personal problem with that. If we can get you to serve in the church, that never unlocks you to change the world. We have a mandate from heaven for us as a church family to see the world impacted. We're never going to do that based on religion. It can make us have decent services, 
but it will never have life that changes the world because the life that changes the world is going to have to operate in incredible creativity and brilliance and wisdom. It's going to have to operate from your limbic brain, not your lower brain, not your midbrain, not your brainstem, not the obligation that gets you in conformity. What we actually want as a church family, this is what heaven looks like, is that we begin to live with such creativity that it changes the world with beauty, with brilliance, with wisdom. You'll never get there on that tree. It'll never happen. And so the invitation here is to recognize that we, ha- we get what the prodigal got, but we also get what his brother got. That we recognize that everything the father has is ours. That we don't have to perform our way to heaven, but instead we get to receive, and then we overflow. You see, here, I do good not to get something, but because I am something. I've been made good. I've been given a new heart is what Jeremiah says. My slate is clean, not based on my performance, but based on Jesus. And so now I get to live with life that overflows. You with me? And so the invitation is not to perform more, but it's actually to receive so that I can become what I've already been made. And then fruit just overflows. There's no try harder. There's no pressure. There's just life. I recognize this, that though I have permanent access to this place, that in my thinking, I can begin to drift over here. And I begin to experience it in a bunch of different ways. But I know this, here, here is the like baseline for my life. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So righteousness is right relationship that leads to right behavior over here. Over here, righteousness is right behavior that leads to right relationship. Sounds very similar, but it is worlds apart. Here, I'm working for God. Here, I'm working with God. Totally different. This is go to work with dad day, all day, every day. Here, I find myself trying harder, striving. You have a lot of quiet times over here, but nothing seems to change. You read the Bible and it doesn't make sense. Over here, you don't just get a quiet time, though that's valuable. You have an abiding time, which is all the time. Because God never leaves me. If I don't read my Bible in the morning, if I forget to pray for my food, I'm still blessed. And so is my food. Over here, I'm living in life. My sin nature has been removed. Doesn't mean that I won't ever sin, but I'll never sin while I'm living over here. Because sin is an illegitimate way of trying to get what we were created for. Sexual sin is looking for intimacy over here apart from God. When the truth is is that I was designed for intimate connection, but there's boundaries to it in order to protect all the life that flows from me. And when we 
recognize that the invitation from heaven is to live from here, what happens is we have really good fruit. Changes everything. We've got life that overflows. Go with me to Galatians chapter five. Verse one, it says, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free, so no longer live. So let's see, I'll read it from here instead of from my memory. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It would be nice to think that this was simply about sin, like don't sin anymore. If you read chapter four, it's actually talking about two women. One is the slave woman, one's the free woman. One is Hagar, the slave woman. One is Sarah, the free woman. They both have kids. The slave woman is a sign of trying to make it happen on your own. Creates all sorts of dysfunction. What Paul is telling the Galatians not to do is to go back into religion because they've got folks that are trying to put them in the bondage of religion. If you read all of Galatians, that's the context. When it's talking about slavery, though sin is slavery, what Galatians is saying is you don't have to go back to performance-driven Christianity, but instead stand firm and live in the tree of life. Let it flow. It is good. I like it. I'm glad somebody likes it. Me and you, Becca, we like it. Y'all can talk to me a little bit. It's okay. I can handle it. There's my son yelling at me. So if you were to go on in Galatians, verse 16, it says that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. If you have a sin issue, your sin issue is not going to be solved in the good branch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Try harder will never get you out of sin. It will only dig a deeper hole. If you walk by the Spirit, all of a sudden, you become a fountain bursting with life. You've got so much life that sin actually ha has lost its appeal. You'll know this. You'll know that you're being enticed away from the tree of life when sin starts to look good. And we've all got our own stuff. We've all got our own like things. Maybe it's trying harder, striving. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcohol, whatever it is. There's all of those things that have a, a hook in us and try to lure us over here. Maybe it's like giving in to anger or gossip. And maybe it's using your words to hurt other people because you feel really small. And so you need to make other people feel small so that you feel the same size. Whatever it is, there's all of these things. When we start feeling that temptation, we recognize, oh man, no, there's actually life here that I could, that I could live in. I don't have to give in to that because I have life. And so instead of trying to perform my way into relationship, I just take a seat. I actually thought about this. I thought about getting a treadmill to put over there and a lazy boy to put over here. <laughs> I recognize, man, I'm, I'm about to lose it with my kids. Just need to be a kid. I just need to be my father's kid. Recognize, man, the temptation to, to start living in that hurried anxiety is here. I just need to recognize God's got me. He's gonna make a way for me. I don't have to strive. Doesn't mean that I don't work hard, but it actually just flows naturally. 
goes on to say in Galatians 5. Y'all with me? You enjoying this? Okay. It could change your life if you receive it. Back to Galatians 5, verse 17. For the desires, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Here's the problem. This is like Romans 7 life. I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do. You see, when we live on the good branch, the problem is, is that we're still living from our soul instead of from our spirit. And so we find ourselves doing good for a bit and moving back over because we're still operating out of self. Does that make sense? And so we, we get stuck going back and forth. So I can do good for a while. I can do three days, five days, seven days without porn. And then all of a sudden I'm back over here. Why? Because I'm still living out of self-effort instead of the overflow of the Spirit. It says they are in conflict with each other so that you are, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Understand that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It doesn't mean that righteousness doesn't matter, but the law arouses sin. It was actually put in place as a tutor so that we could become mature sons and daughters. But in Jesus, we've been adopted as mature sons and daughters, and so we can live here. It's not about lawlessness. It's about being led by the Spirit, which will never contradict the law. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, right? Like some of those things were like, oh yeah, man, that's really bad. Don't do witchcraft. <laughs> selfish ambition. Ah, surely that's not that bad. Dissensions, factions, that means cliques and all that kind of stuff. Envy, no, that's not that bad of a deal. Drunkenness, yeah, we could call that bad. Orgies, that's all right, and the like. Saying, hey, the list is... The list is bad, right? Like, and it could actually go on, right? Like we try to grade them, right? Like a little bit of drunkenness is all right, but man, don't go to orgies. That's bad news. It's like, no, the problem is, is that you're, when you start grading stuff and comparing it, you're like the two brothers, right? Look at all that he did and you never gave me anything. The problem is, is that you're living in the wrong tree and you need to get out of it because it will cost you your life. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you this. This phrase has been in my mind for several weeks now. The fruit of the Spirit grows on the tree of life. It is the natural overflow. I love what Steve says about fruit. Fruit is excess life. You'll never find a tree striving to make fruit. Unhealthy tree never has fruit. Fruit it has isn't healthy. A healthy tree just bears fruit fruit because it's the excess life. It's the overflow of life. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is not multiple fruits. It's a singular fruit that has many facets. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Here's what love looks like. Love looks like joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I left a whole lot of those out. I skipped a whole line. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance or patience, we don't really use the word forbearance. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
I love the word self-control. I recognized a while back that the word self-control means to get the government of self back. When you're living over here, you do what you don't want to do and what you want to do, you don't do. You don't have any self-control. Over here, you're able to control yourself. You can make decisions. God's not trying to take control of you. He wants a love relationship with you. He wants mature sons and daughters, not robots, right? So you just get to live life over here with him. It doesn't mean that it doesn't take discipline to live in the tree of life. Tommy Alford told me that a while back. It's really good, really true. It takes discipline to live in the tree of life, but our discipline is different. Over here, our discipline is just about behavior modification. Essentially, it's don't get caught discipline, right? Like you've lived there before. Over here, I recognize the condition of my, of my emotions, of my heart, and, and that protects me so that I never end up living over here. Does that make sense? So I know, again, back to righteousness, peace, and joy. If I've got righteousness, peace, and joy, I know that I'm living here. Joy is very different from happiness. In fact, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers, Bill Johnson, the other day, and he said that hope and joy are connected. That hope is anticipating joy to come with the same amount of joy as if it were happening right now. I thought that was really rich. I don't know why I said that, but that was really good. And then peace. The peace of God is actually a violent force. The word peace in scripture, we know this is the word shalom. And it's the peace of God that drives out chaos. It's not the absence of chaos. It's the peace of God that drives out chaos. Here's why that's important. Because my circumstances don't determine my peace. When your circumstances start determining your peace, you're living over here. That's why Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know what it is to have a little. I know what it is to have a lot. I know how to be hungry and to be well-fed. All of that stuff, because he's got a river of life flowing out of him. And so his circumstances don't affect his peace, his joy, and his righteousness. So now to the kiss that changed my life. So I was living over here trying to perform, trying to make things happen, trying to get my act together, and it was wearing me out. For me, depression is a good sign that I'm living over here. Not a good sign like I enjoy it, but it's a sign that's very clear, clear sign. So I went to this retreat from, for a handful of pastors, guys from around the world. And at the retreat, uh, there's a guy who's become a friend, named, his name's Leif Hetland. And Leif was talking about a similar idea to what I've been talking about this morning. And he was saying that there's an invitation to live from the love of God. You see, the law of the old covenant, we'll cover this more in a few weeks, is love God with all that you are and love your neighbors yourself, right? But when we recognize the slight change in the law of the new covenant is to love the way that we've been loved by Jesus, that it actually doesn't start with me doing something, it starts with me receiving something. When I begin to receive, it changes everything about me. When I begin to live from love, I bear good fruit. In this place, I'm a son. 
And so Leif was talking about sonship and receiving sonship and recognizing like essentially that our salvation was an adoption to sonship, that we've been brought into the family of God. And he was talking about receiving a baptism of love. Recognize, and I love the word baptized. It's a religious word, so we, we lose the meaning. It's to, to be saturated so that every fiber of your being is changed. So it's a, it was a, a dyer's term, like cloth dye. They would immerse it in a dye. Goes in one color, comes out the other, another color, whatever's in the dye, and it changes everything. So Leif was, was ministering. He, he tells his story about how he used to basically bounce between these two trees. By the way, you can experience the Holy Spirit over here. But he just comes and goes. Over here, you get visitation from God. Over here, you live in habitation. Because I know that everything the Father has is mine. I'm not waiting to work, work up my spiritual life so that I can have something to give. Instead, I just receive. And so he was talking about that and recognizing how loved we are. Do you know that you're really loved? So Leif, there's probably 30 of us in the room. And he goes around. Kind of hilarious. This will offend you if you're living over here. He gave us a kiss on the forehead. I'd never experienced this before, but I just like crumbled totally out under the presence of God. I didn't understand what, what was going on in those kind of things. Here's what's going on. Sometimes God has to do so much work in you that he needs to give you spiritual anesthesiology to put you under so that he can get in there, change some stuff, and then wake you up and you come too. It's not that weird. It happens all throughout the Bible. Uh, but I, I had seen it, but it never happened. So all of a sudden, like, I'm out. He kissed me and I'm out, right? Kind of weird. Freak people out. I told one of my friends who's, uh, he's like, man, how was it? I said, a man kissed me and it changed my life. <laughs> so there, I'm there on the carpet and God begins just to speak to me. He says, Joel, do you love your daughters? And I see, I see my two girls. Eli wasn't born at this point. I see my two girls. I said, yeah, you, you know, I'd do anything for them. And he said, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you love them. I, I want you to know I love you so much more. And that like really stuck with me. Not that here I ever thought that I would love my kids more than God, but it's set here. You know, Romans 10 talks about we receive salvation when we believe in our hearts, not when we believe in our heads, but in our hearts. And so, and then he said, Joel, I want you to know, I don't love you because I died for you. I died for you because I love you. Small change, but it meant the world to me. You see, I kind of always thought God loved me out of obligation. Maybe he didn't even quite like me, but he loved me out of obligation because he died for me. I said yes to him, and so now he's forced to love me. Seems silly in hindsight. I wouldn't have told you that's what I thought, but that's what I thought. But all of a sudden, I recognized that the cross was the greatest display of love that I could ever see. That he really loved me, that he died for me because he loved me. And everything changed. My whole body began, like just every fiber of my being saturated with the love of God. It's like I knew 
with the unquestionable faith that I was loved by God, that I am loved by God. I believe that God wants that for you, that he wants you to know that you're so loved. Our worship team can come up, our ministry team, you guys can come forward. I know we've gone really long. I think this has been worth it for you. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to take Natalie's ending spot real quick so that we can just let people go. Um, We've got a few things coming up. We've got a men's night this Friday night. It's going to be awesome. You should come, men. We've got a women's gathering that will be phenomenal in a few weeks. Uh, It's really good. You can find it online. If you're a guest with us, check out the Next Steps table. We'd love to get you plugged in, invite you to lunch, get to know you more. Um, I encourage you to do those things. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, like you've never experienced the love of Jesus, I encourage you to come down and let this team pray for you. But if you're in a place and you just recognize, man, I hate it, but as as Joel was talking about this tree right here, this isn't just where I hang out, this is where I live. Fear has got me, performance has got me, trying harder has gotten me. My religious life, My spiritual life has been marked by trying instead of by receiving. You're like, you know what? I need need to transfer my, my membership, my address to the tree of life from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I just need to make the move over to here. I believe God has that for you this morning. That God wants to mark you in a powerful way, that he wants to pour out his love on you. As far as I know, none of these folks put their lipstick on to kiss you this morning, so you don't have to worry about that. But I do, I do believe that God wants to pour out his love on you. And I would encourage you, if you think, ah, oh, you know, I'm probably good, you're probably not. Like there is nothing wrong with allowing somebody to pray for you. It's a really wise move. In fact, most of the time, when I'm in places where I'm not the one leading, I, I've... Anytime there's an invitation to come forward to receive, I'm like, I just want more of God. I want all that he has for me. I don't even know what I need, but I want more. In fact, typically the reason why I preach is so that I can be in pre-service prayer and have everybody pray for me because that's really good. And so I just want to encourage you if, you, if, if, if you'd like just to receive, that you would this morning. I say that not to pressure you into receiving because you can't pressure reception but I just want to pry you loose if you're like, oh, I think I'm good. I just really feel like God wants to pour out his love on you. And I don't know what will happen to you. Maybe you'll have an experience like I did and you'll fall on the ground. We're not after reactions. We just want to encounter God. You know what I mean? And so we just are just asking God, hey, God, would you change me? You may not feel a thing with your physical body. That's totally okay. We don't receive by feeling, we receive by faith. But I feel like God wants to pour out his love on you in a way that marks you. In a way that breaks off religion and marks you as a son or daughter. So let me pray for you. You guys can come forward just as you feel led. Father, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your love was so great for us that you would call us children of God. Thank you that we're not orphans, that we don't have to try harder, that we don't have to look for you, that we don't have to make it happen on our own, but that we just get to receive from you. 
And we just thank you for life, God. Thank you that you have such life for us. Just invite your love to be poured out now.